Hey, Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad. My name's Ashley, and with me always is my partner in crime, Ricky. Hey, guys. Hey, so we have some bad news. Yep, the bunnies died. The bunnies didn't make it. They died overnight, sadly. But on a lighter note, we have a few patrons to shout out. Ricky, take it away. All right. So we have some cool ones this week. We have Lauren, Troy, Patricia, and we have Sean, who actually pledged $75. That's awesome. That's amazing. I know. That's crazy. It's like extremely generous. And rare, I feel like. Yeah. To us anyways. So thank you guys so much for supporting our podcast. But let's jump into the show. So if you guys remember, a few months back, we covered the 2004 case of Lisa Marie Montgomery, a Missouri woman who murdered Bobby Joe Stinnett as she brutally cut open Bobby Joe's abdomen to take her unborn baby. This case made national headlines, and in 2021, Lisa Marie became the first woman to be executed by the federal government in decades. Our case this week follows a similar trajectory. A 22-year-old pregnant woman was lured into a neighbor's apartment only to be attacked, killed, and had her unborn baby stolen from her womb. Savannah LaFontaine Greywind was born August 9, 1995 in Belcourt, North Dakota to Noberta and Joe Greywind. Belcourt, North Dakota is a small town along the Canada-North Dakota border. Savannah had spent time living in Fargo and on the Spirit Lake Reservation. Savannah, as well as her younger brother and sister, was a member of the Spirit Lake Sioux Tribe. After graduating from Warwick High School in 2013, Savannah began working on getting her nursing assistant license. Ultimately, she hoped to work in elder care as a nursing assistant. After getting her license, she spent time working at the Eventide Nursing Home in Spirit Lake before transferring to a different Eventide branch in Fargo in January of 2016. During this time, Savannah was dating a boy named Ashton Matheny. They had been together since they were freshmen in high school in 2010. And after seven years together, he had become a part of the LaFontaine Greywind family. For Savannah, there was nothing more important than family. She helped raise her niece and nephew, cared for her grandparents, Clarence LaFontaine and Edward Greywind, and she was close with her parents and siblings. Beyond her family, Savannah loved animals, especially horses, the residents that she helped care for at her job, and children. In early 2017, Savannah had moved into her parents' basement apartment in Fargo so that she could save up money before moving in with her longtime boyfriend, Ashton. The couple had just found out that they were going to have a little baby girl and they were beyond thrilled to start their family and life together. It was a dream come true for the young couple and their family. By August 2017, Savannah was eight months pregnant. The 19th was a Saturday and she was off from work, spending time with her parents at home. She had ordered a pizza to share for lunch and was planning on taking her 18-year-old brother to work later that afternoon. That day, her upstairs neighbor approached her with an offer. Brooklyn Cruz was 38 years old and had lived above the Greywinds for a while. Because they shared a building, 
Brooke and her boyfriend, William Haynes, were casual acquaintances of the Grey Winds, but they didn't know each other that well. Brooke had seven children, but each was no longer in her care. William had a 15-year-old daughter who didn't live with them. They frequently got into explosive, loud arguments, but beyond that, there wasn't too much out of the ordinary about them. On August 19, 2017, though, Brooke Cruz approached Savannah with an offer. Brooke would give her $20 for help modeling a dress she was sewing. Savannah, needing the money and always willing to help, agreed, but she was hesitant. As she headed out of her apartment to meet the neighbor, Savannah turned back and asked, Mom, you don't think this woman is crazy, do you? Her mother replied that she didn't, reassuring Savannah. She then told her mom that she had ordered a pizza and that it would be there soon. Nerberta Graywin wouldn't hear from her daughter again. When Nerberta didn't hear back from her daughter after an hour, she went upstairs and knocked on the door, but no one answered. Savannah agreed to drive her brother Casey to work, and she wasn't the type to be late or to not show up. Nerberta came back downstairs to talk with her husband, beginning to feel nervous for her daughter. She sent her husband Joe upstairs to check. Joe knocked on the upstairs apartment door, and this time Brooke answered. Without letting him in, she told him, we're not done yet. Joe assumed they were still working on the dress, and he left. After more time passed without any word from their daughter, Nerberta went upstairs for the final time to get Savannah. Brooke answered the door and calmly said that Savannah had gone out for a walk. Being that she was eight months pregnant, Nerberta immediately knew this wasn't true. Savannah's feet were swollen. It was a very hot summer day, and she was physically exhausted from her pregnancy. Nerberta was certain that Brooke wasn't telling the truth. Seeing that Savannah's car keys, wallet, and purse were still at home, Nerberta called Savannah's cell phone and texted again and again, but she didn't get any response. She reached out to her daughter's longtime partner and father of her baby, Ashton Mahini, to see if he had heard anything from her. When he replied that he hadn't heard from or seen Savannah, Nerberta called the police to report her pregnant daughter as missing. She got into her own car and drove around the block looking for Savannah. For Nerberta, if Savannah had gone somewhere, it couldn't have been far given how pregnant she was. But Savannah had never left Brooke Crew's apartment that August day. Brooke's invitation had been a ruse to get Savannah alone. Savannah, being a kind woman, agreed to help. But when she got upstairs, Brooke quickly grew angry at her yelling and accusing her of mistreating their cat and stealing their mail. None of this was true, but Brooke was irate. Their argument turned physical, and Brooke pushed Savannah so hard that she fell back and hit her head on the bathroom sink. The blow to her head had knocked her unconscious. Brooke then grabbed a knife from one of the drawers nearby and started to cut into Brooke's pregnant belly. In this crass and brutal cesarean, Savannah was coming in and out of consciousness, bleeding profusely and in incredible pain. Brooke reached into her abdomen and pulled out a young baby girl. As Savannah Graywin was bleeding out on the bathroom floor, William Haynes, Brooke's boyfriend, came home. 
Brooke was panicked and he asked if Savannah was dead. Brooke replied that she didn't know and asked William for help. According to Brooke, William grabbed a rope and wrapped it around Savannah's neck, pulling tight. He said if she wasn't dead before, she's dead now. With Savannah's newborn baby in the bathtub, Brooke and William began to clean up all the blood and hid Savannah's dead body in a bathroom closet. That afternoon, they pretended everything was normal and that the baby was theirs. Unaware of the horror that had happened just above them, the Greywind family was desperate for answers as to where their daughter could be. By 4.30 in the afternoon the next day, they had gathered all of their friends and family to help search for Savannah. Over these next two days, police went into Brooke and William's apartment with their consent. They were obviously persons of interest given that Savannah was last seen leaving their apartment with Brooke. But because they didn't have a search warrant, they weren't able to look in any cabinets, drawers, or closed doors. Savannah's body was still in the closet, and her stolen baby was covered up by a blanket asleep. Limited by the constraints of searching without a warrant, the police didn't find anything that tied Savannah's disappearance to Brooke and William's apartment. By Sunday, August 20th, Niberta, Joe, and the rest of the Greywind family and Ashton Matheny had begun making flyers and posting signs asking for information from the public to help find Savannah. Despite all their effort, nothing turned up. On Wednesday, they hosted a prayer vigil at the Sanford Medical Center in downtown Fargo. Members of Savannah's family spoke and asked for FBI's help in finding their beloved daughter, sister, and friend. A $7,000 reward was offered for anyone who could help bring Savannah home. By August 24th, five days after Savannah was last seen, Fargo police announced that they have conducted multiple searches of the Red River, which runs through the small town. They also have canine units tracking for any signs of her and they have all of the department's resources focused on finding Savannah. By 2 p.m. on the 24th, roughly five days since Savannah went missing, police were able to execute a fourth search of William Haynes and Brooke Crew's apartment, this time with a warrant. Though they had been suspicious of Brooke and William, given that their apartment was the last place Savannah was known to be, previous searches had turned up nothing. This time, investigators were able to get a warrant after it was reported that William was telling his co-workers that he and Brooke had had a baby over the weekend, and William's credit card history showed a purchase of diapers. Police, who had met with Brooke that weekend, knew that she had not been pregnant. They began to suspect the worst. While searching the home, an officer noticed a slight movement in the corner of his eye and found a small baby girl hidden on the bed. Given the circumstances, police immediately suspected that this was Savannah's baby. The baby was only a few days old and very small, only four pounds and 13 ounces. Police took the baby straight to the hospital and arrested Brooke and William on the spot for conspiracy to commit kidnapping. Without a body, Police did not immediately charge the pair with murder, though the prospect that Savannah was dead had become much more likely. 
Though police were almost certain that the baby girl found in William and Brooke's apartment was Savannah's, she was placed in the care of social services until a DNA test weeks later finally confirmed it. On August 27th, eight days after Savannah was last seen, around 5.45 p.m., kayakers made a horrific discovery in the Red River near Harwood, Minnesota. Savannah LaFonte Graywin's body was wrapped in plastic garbage bags that had become caught on a fallen log in the river. Police, who had been searching for Savannah in a neighboring area, quickly arrived at the scene and by 8 p.m., a water rescue crew had managed to get the body out of the water. Police were able to identify it as Savannah's body by a tattoo on her foot that read, too beautiful for earth. Savannah's autopsy concluded that she was murdered. The wound on her abdomen stretched from hip to hip. Though it hasn't been made public whether she died from blood loss that resulted from having her baby brutally cut out from her, or from the strangulation which appeared to have happened afterwards. With Savannah's body found, murder charges were given to both Brooke Cruz and William Haynes, who were already in custody for hiding Savannah's baby. Brooke had initially claimed that Savannah had willingly gave her the baby girl. But after being charged with murder, she faced the truth of what she had done and confessed to the crime. Brooke admitted that she had attacked Savannah and cut the baby out of her womb. She told the police about William's role in Savannah's murder and how they cleaned up at the scene. The pair then hollowed out a dresser where they stored Savannah's body before throwing it into the Red River. Savannah's body had been in the river six days before it was found, but the dresser was never located. With murder charges filed against her, Savannah's body found, and the baby reunited with its real family, Brooke became openly repentant for her actions. On December 11th, during one of her hearings, she changed her plea from innocent to guilty on the three charges she faced, conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, and providing false information to the police. She told the Greywind family, who was in the courtroom, I'm just really, really, really sorry. I wish I could take their pain. I wish I hadn't done this. There is no excuse. There is no rationalization. There is nothing. I know it doesn't help, but I am sorry. So the question we're all wondering is, why did Brooke kill Savannah, especially in such an awful way? During Brooke and William's trial, prosecutors were able to piece together the motive that prompted Brooke's heinous act. According to Brooke, in early 2017, she and William were at a tumultuous point in the relationship. They were arguing nonstop and tensions were high. Brooke was worried that William, given their fraught relationship, was going to leave her. So she concocted a story that she thought would make him stay and told him that she was pregnant with his baby. She used pictures of a pregnancy test she had taken when she had her first child, used old sonograms, and even went as far as playing a recording of a baby's heartbeat that she had found online. Even though she knew this was all a lie, she was beginning to believe that she was actually pregnant. As time went by, Brooke began to realize that this lie was not sustainable, and on August 6th, 
only a few weeks before Savannah's death, Brooke and William had one of their worst fights yet. William admitted that he knew that Brooke wasn't actually pregnant and demanded that she needed to produce a baby. According to Brooke, she understood this comment to mean that she had no other choice but to have a baby, and it didn't matter how she did that. She was desperate and afraid. After their fight, Brooke remembered William coming home and commenting to her, that Greywind girl is really pregnant. While William claimed that this was just an offhand observation to Brooke, this was a clear directive. He wanted Savannah's baby. Though Brooke claimed that it was William who had strangled Savannah, a fellow inmate provided contradictory evidence, claiming that Brooke had told her that she was the one who had strangled Savannah, ensuring that she was dead. With this contradictory evidence, William pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit kidnapping and lying to police, but pleaded not guilty to conspiracy to commit murder, maintaining that he did not know of Brooke's plans and did not strangle Savannah. Ultimately, Brooke Cruz was sentenced to life in prison without a chance of parole on February 2nd, 2018. On September 28, 2018, William was found not guilty of conspiracy to commit murder, but because of his guilty plea to kidnapping and providing false information, a judge sentenced him to life in prison after the prosecution and asked for him to be designated as a dangerous special offender. This particular label was given because William had a previous conviction where a child had been seriously injured in his care. By being labeled a dangerous special offender, the judge was able to give William the maximum sentence of life in prison. But only a year later, William appealed his sentence and designation as a special offender. In August of 2019, he was given a new sentencing of 20 years in prison rather than life, the max possible for his crimes. During the hearing, he apologized to the Greywind family, talked about taking responsibility, and how he has been working to be a better person. The judge wasn't sympathetic, citing that William had knowingly hidden Savannah's baby from her devastated family for days and had helped cover up a brutal murder. Despite the horrific way in which she came into this world, Savannah's baby girl named Hazley Joe is the one bright spot for Ashton Matheny and the Greywind family. Only a few weeks away from three years old, Hazley Joe's life is full of love from her father and her grandparents. Ashton frequently posts photos of his daughter on a Facebook page dedicated to Savannah and knows that Savannah would have been the best mom to Hazley Joe. In addition to posting about his daughter, he uses Savannah's page to help raise awareness for other missing Native women. In the days after Savannah's murder, the Fargo community has reached out to help Ashton and the Greywind family. A GoFundMe page raised more than $24,000 to help them care for Hazley Joe. Even a three-year-old donated over $1,000 that they had raised with a lemonade stand in honor of Savannah and Hazley Joe. 
Perhaps most notably, Savannah's brutal murder has led to the unanimous passing of the Savannah Act in September of 2020, first introduced in 2017 by North Dakota Senator Heidi Heitkamp. The Savannah Act was created to help address the growing number of missing or murdered Native women across the United States. According to studies, nearly 80% of Native women will experience some form of physical abuse in their lifetimes. A 2008 study found that Native women were killed at more than 10 times the national average. The Savannah Act works to fix this by establishing a task force that helps find Native women and requires the Department of Justice to have training to be better equipped to help the families of missing women and to ensure that each case is taken seriously. This final point of police not taking cases of missing Native women seriously is one echoed by the Greywind family. They have rightfully pointed out that investigators entered the Brook Cruz and William Hone's apartment three times, with baby Hazley Joe being hidden inside each time. They wonder why investigators didn't search harder or notice Brooke and William's strange behavior sooner. Why did it take them days to get a search warrant when it was clear that Savannah was last seen with Brooke in that apartment? They hope that with the passing of the Savannah Act, no family will have to endure days with no answers and a less than thorough police investigation. With Savannah's killers in prison for many, many more years, we are hopeful that the Greywind family has found some closure to this terrible chapter. As Hazley Joe grows older, her father and grandparents are committed to making sure that she knows how much her mother loved her. With the Savannah Act now passed, we hope that considerable strides are taking to improve the care and attention given to cases involving Native women to prevent any tragedy like Savannah's from happening again. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.